one verse long, so you don't have to stand too long. It's Ephesians 5:33. So open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 33. Ephesians 5.33, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she reverences or respects her husband. Father, God, your will is found through submission to your word. Open our eyes, Lord, that we might behold wondrous things from your word. Help us to be as Ezra, who was a a ready scribe in the law of Moses, who taught and practiced it and did what your word said. Help us to be like James today, who says that we come to your word as we behold our face in a natural glass. And Lord, it's so easy to forget what manner of man we were. But whoso looks and continues in the perfect law of liberty, this man is blessed in what he does. Father, I pray today, God, that you'll help men to be godly. You'll help our ladies, our women, to be godly women. Father, I pray for your church today, your people who you sacrificed your life for, that our marriages would reflect the glory of the cross and the beauty of a church that lives in submission to a godly, wonderful Savior who gave himself for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I have a couple of announcements. I I hate to to break into announcements, but if I don't, I'll forget them. I just want to remind you this is a week to be thankful. Sit around with your family this week. Go around the table and begin to list all the things that we have to be thankful for. I just want to congratulate um, Ben and Christina and their following Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Many of you tried to make it to the baptism and weren't unable <laughs> because of a vehicle that had gone off the side of North Ogden Divide. Praise the Lord, no one was in the vehicle. <laughs> Nobody didn't, they didn't push it off. It, people already, it's been there for two months. <laughs> so they decided on Sunday night they were going to pull it out right when we were in our procession to, to go up the mountain. But um, there's a ladies' meeting after church, but we also have a meeting for those who have approached me and you're interested in membership. So if you've come and talked to me about membership, others may be sitting here and thinking, well, I'm interested in being a member, but um, I'm not pressuring anybody today to, to come and speak with me or the elders of the church. But if you've already approached me and we've talked about that and you want to... Um, just sort of move that, that, that track on. Please stay after church, and we'll, we'll talk through those things. Um, obviously, on a Sunday morning, um, we just don't have time to really function as a healthy body. And so we do other things to enhance what needs to happen in our lives as we sharpen one another. And so next Sunday night, we are having a monthly fellowship meeting at the Delarosa home and we'll start at six o'clock um, the directions will be in next week's bulletin but these are precious precious times for our church um, as you may have noticed today I missed the entire 
first video because my path crossed with somebody I hadn't seen for two weeks. And as God's people, we want to spend time investing in each other's lives. And a Sunday morning, we just don't have the time, do we? Um, after church, many of you stay here until 1 o'clock, 1.30, 2 o'clock, because we want to invest our lives in each other. Uh, that's what a church is for. We need each other. And I want North Valley Bible Church to, to fulfill that need. And, and um, so that's what these Sunday evenings are for. There'll be just a short devotion. It's really more about getting to know each other, praying with each other, bearing one another's burdens, living out your spiritual gift among God's people, and functioning as a healthy body would function. The hand needs the eye, and the eye needs the ear, and we work together on these beautiful Sunday evenings. So I am doing something different this morning. I don't preach topically um, as a rule, and not that I'm opposed to topical messages, but they're difficult. The reason topical messages are difficult is because you've got to look at each verse and see how does it fit in this context, and then does it really fit the topic that you're addressing. And so it's, it's something you have to be very careful to teach because you can often pull a verse just to make it fit your topic, and, and that's something that we don't ever want to do. And so I avoid topical preaching, but this is a topic that, that needs more than one Sunday. Last Sunday I talked and preached on marriage, and I want to just go a little bit deeper on what love and reverence really is all about. I think you can tell a lot about a church and where they stand on the authority of Scripture, where they rest on the roles of men and women. The Bible is God's Word. We don't have the right to come to it and edit it or to change it or to say this doesn't fit our culture today. It is a roadmap of how God wants to live our lives. And when we deviate from that, we really make a mess of things. And marriage is no exception. The current divorce rate is about 60% of marriages. Those who opt out and say, you know what, I'm not even going to get married because it's a failed institution, they decide to live together, and they live together until things aren't agreeable anymore, and then they separate, and then they live with somebody else. And all that does, it prepares you for a dysfunctional relationship with your significant partner. Because it trains you that if this doesn't work, there's always an out. And that's not God's word. And so you want to know where a church stands, really ask what do they believe about the roles of men and women, and what do they really believe about the book of Genesis? Is the book of Genesis simply mythology, or is it biblical history that tells us how God created and designed the world? And North Valley Bible Church, we believe that God breathed every jot and every tittle. Jesus believed that. Jesus taught that. And I want to stand with Jesus. And I know this church wants to stand with Jesus. Jesus never came to destroy the law. Jesus came to fulfill all the law, which includes the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis really has a model for everything that we have, every institution that we have, whether it's government or home. Government was instituted in Genesis chapter 9 when God ordained government to be the punishment of evildoers. And by the way, this isn't my topic this morning, but when the government gets outside of that realm, it's outside of its jurisdiction. That's the role of government. Government's role is to restrain evil and to reward those who do well. Government's role isn't to mandate your health. That is not government's role. It's not the government's role to decide whether an unborn child can live or not. That is God's prerogative. God has created life. God has created your life. Your body has been bought with a price 
Therefore, glorify God with your body. And that's between you and the Lord, whether you decide whether you feel like you want to be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated. No government has the right to mandate that on anybody. That's, that's outside of the role of government. That's not their position. By the way, it's outside of our Constitution as well. But don't get me on that rabbit trail. I'll be here all morning. <laughs> what about love and reverence? Where does that come from? I, I'm using the word reverence because most of your Bibles probably don't use that word in 533. But the Greek word that Paul inspired when he wrote it was the word reverence. And I want to stay with that word, reverence, because it carries a little bit more weight than respect. It's the Greek word phobia, and we understand what phobia is. But, but in, in the Greek, phobia didn't mean a paranoia, fear. That had, it never had that connotation. It meant a reverential awe, a respect, and obedient submission. And wives are commanded, not suggested, to reverence their husband. The word that is used for love, we all know this word, it's agape. Agape is a word that means sacrificial, selfless devotion, and a commitment. It is not a feeling. You don't fall out of love with your wife, men. This is a commitment, it's a decision, and it's an act of your will. A wife will often wonder if a husband really loves her. My wife will often ask for that to be reinforced to her because I don't say it enough. I never, I've never once in 38 years of marriage, ever, and I can say this with my hand on the Bible, I can, I can honestly say this, I have never questioned whether my wife loves me. Never, not once. But I wish the adverse was just as true. There are times when my wife has wondered, does he really love me? Why? Because what my wife and what every woman craves above everything else is to be loved by her husband. That's what she desires. That's what she longs for. Now, what about reverence? Has there been times where I've questioned whether she reverences me? <laughs> and I'm using the word reverence in a strong way because I don't want her to venerate me by any means. But have I ever questioned, is she respectful right now? <laughs> and ladies are smiling. Lily's over there smiling. <laughs> And why? Because as a man, this is what I long for. I, you know, whether she told me she loved me or not, I don't get goosebumps. But when my wife respects me, when she appreciates what I have done, I tell you, I soar through the roof. I remember one time I was at a, a road race. And my wife and I were trying to work our way through divinity school. She was cleaning homes up on Lookout Mountain and Missionary Ridge. And I was participating in athletics. I got the fun job. She had to clean people's houses. So I was training. I was working out every day. I'd go to these road races where prize money was offered. And it was two Olympians that were in this race, and, and I just sat behind them thinking, these guys are going to blow me away. And the pace felt comfortable. And at the two-mile mark, I, I took the lead. And there was a, a pace car that was on a, had a walkie-talkie or whatever back then. I don't know. It was the 1980s, so I don't know if they had what they had. They didn't have cell phones, that's for sure. But they were radioing back to where the race started, and they were giving the updates on who was leading the race. And... <clears throat> Tracy and I needed, uh, I hated running those races because I'd count heads. Okay, if I get that guy, I can pay my electric bill. If I pay, get that guy, I can put food on the table and pay my electric bill. If I get two more guys. But anyway, I found myself in the lead. And, uh, and so Tracy was back at the, the finish line, and she heard that her husband had taken the lead, overtaken these two Olympic runners. And she was so proud of what her husband 
had worked so diligently on these cold mornings getting up before divinity school, after school, in between work, training and all this stuff, having two kids, one on the way. And I remember what she said to me afterwards. She says, Patrick, I'm so proud of you. You've worked so hard. And I tell you, it made my month, not just my day. It changed everything. It just the way she said that to me, it made me realize that she appreciated the work that I did. She respected how hard it was for me to train. And, and just to be able to, to hear that from her meant, meant everything to me. Um, she's my sounding board after every sermon. You know, I don't look for feedback and I don't long for feedback from you all, so don't feel like, oh, Pastor Patrick needs a pat on the back or, wow, it was a great sermon. No, but if she says, Patrick, that really helped me this week, that means all the world to me. Not so much, Patrick, I really love you and I love that sermon. No, that helped me. Thank you. That's what a man longs for and a woman longs to be loved. You look at the card sections in, you know, the Hallmark, whatever it is, Walgreens, and you start looking at the cards, men for women, there ain't hardly any cards that wives give men that says how much we love you. But you look at a card for a woman. In fact, I don't even look at cards. I don't even read the cards people give them to me. <laughs> but this, I'll tell you this. I'm going to talk about Dr. Goer, so if it makes you feel uncomfortable... I'm sorry, but every now and then, I work for her, and she's my boss, so I respect her, but you know what? She knows me as a man, and she knows how men think, and so she had a bag of mixed nuts and sesame seeds, but it was a little note on that, and I keep them. I save them. I've got about five of them on my desk, and whenever I'm down... I'll pick them up and I'll read them. But it said, thank you for your diligence. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you that we have a mentor like you that cares about our kids. That's respect. You want somebody to really work for you as a, and you're a boss, you're an employer. You start showing that to your employees and their work will go through the roof. As a teacher, you know what my job is to do for my children that I teach? It's not for me to reverence them. It's for me to love them. I need to love every one of my pupils. Dennis knows exactly what I'm talking about, and that's what Dennis does. And you know what those kids will do? They will stay after class to talk to Brother Dennis. They will stay after class to talk to Sean because they know that these men love them. They care about them. And in return, you watch your students. They start to respect you. They will listen to you. They will do what you ask them to do because they know that that guy or that woman, he loves us and he cares about us. He printed these photocopies. He punched, hole punched these things. He wants us to take this home. He wants us to do our homework, whatever it is. It isn't just marriage. This is the way relationships work. And this is the way God has designed us. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular love his wife even as himself. And the woman see that she reverences her husband. This section is considered probably the most important passage in the entire Bible on marriage. And this verse, I think, really summarizes what men and women ought to do. And secular research has proven this to be true. The University of Washington did a 20-year study on marriage relationships. And they looked at marriages that lasted 25 years, and they asked the question to the wife and to the man, what was it that kept your marriage together? 85% of the men said, I felt like my wife respected me. 85% of the women, women said, I knew and I sensed and I felt that my husband loved me. They did another study 
of ones that only lasted five years, and the most common grain, the common thread through all of them, was a tone of contempt, which is the most corrosive force in any relationship. Love and respect. Why so different? Why? Because God created us different. Newsflash, right? I don't care how woke you are. We need to wake up that God has made us very, very different. When my wife looks in her closet and I see a ton of clothes and she says, I ain't got nothing to wear. No, she doesn't speak like that. (laughs) I have nothing to wear. My wife is not saying my closet is empty. What she is really saying, and I don't register myself. I'm looking at the closet. I said, what are you talking about? She's saying, I don't like any of this stuff, and none of it really fits for what I, I can see. She's nodding her head. Mrs. Kine says, yeah, I, I, I know what she means. Now, if Ron and I, we're going backpacking, and Ron says, I don't have anything to wear. What Ron means is his favorite pair of wool socks are dirty, and Sue needs to wash them. <laughs> so we say the same thing, but we communicate we're so different. Matthew 5.4, have you never read that from the beginning, he who made them, made them male and female were different. Go over to Genesis chapter 2. And I want to just hopefully show you something that maybe you've never seen before. Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 23. Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 23. And this is the foundation for every, every relationship. And the Lord God said, it is not good. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. The old King James says, meet for him. Comparable. That little preposition, it can be translated about 15 different ways. And one of the ways that's often translated is parallel. Someone who is right beside him or someone who is right in front of him who corresponds. Somebody who fills him in, who can walk right alongside of him. Adam was naming every animal. God brought him to him. And he named every one of them, yet out of every one of those animals, not one of them was comparable, parallel, opposite, that would correspond to exactly what man needed. Look at verse 19. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever called them living creatures, it was its name. So Adam Adam gave name to all the cattle and the birds of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Again, the same word. But what really grabbed me was I was studying it this week. I had never seen this before. I don't know why I never saw it before. But God brought Adam these animals, but every one of these animals was formed from what? Out of the ground. God did not take Eve and form Eve out of the ground. That was so profound to me this week as I studied that. Where did God create woman from? He took him from man. Last night, my wife and I were sitting down on a sofa together, a love seat. (laughs) And and I wanted just to grab her and pull her over right into my side. Not because I wanted her to disappear. I just wanted her right here. And I started to envision that this is bone. Of, and that's what Adam said. This now is bone. And the preposition in the Hebrew is men, which means literally from. And it's translated of. Let's, so let's just continue to read. The Lord caused a great deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh in his place. Then The rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman, and he brought her to the man. And man said, now this is bone 
of my bone, literally from me, and flesh from my flesh. She shall be called woman because the woman was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They were one flesh. This was Adam of Adam. This was bone of his bone. This was flesh of his flesh. They are one. And here's the profound thing. When I love my wife, I am literally loving myself. We are so closely connected, and that's what God intended, not out of the ground, not one of the beasts, but something from his own physical body that he could say, yes, this is my helper that corresponds to everything that I need. And God created them very uniquely and very differently for a purpose. Wives are to submit. That's different, isn't it? Husbands are to love. When a man hears criticism, this is really what he's hearing. He's hearing disrespect, okay? Just I'm telling you, ladies, that's what he's hearing. You may not be thinking that this is being disrespectful, but that's the way a man listens to criticism often. Now, criticism could be done in a right way, and it's not wrong for a wife to criticize her husband, but it needs to be done with respect. Because a man will interpret that as disrespect. Woman, on the other hand, hears silence. She hears it as a megaphone. Because this is what a guy does. When a guy doesn't feel respected, he shuts up. He walks out of the room. He gives a silent treatment. And you know what that says to the wife? I am loving you right now. And that's what she hears. A lack of communication means I don't love you. A woman longs for communication. She longs to know what's going on in our heads, and we are so poor at communicating it, aren't we? This is what a wife wants. When you, I come home, Tracy asks how my, how my day was. She usually gets about a two-word answer. Pretty good. <laughs> and she just looks at me. One of her biggest complaints about me being physically next to her is that I am not present. How many of you men can relate to that? Yes. Our minds are running and we're somewhere else. And our wives, they long for that intimacy. And you think that I'm supposed to, this is what Jesus says, I am to love her the way Christ loved the church. Christ communicated with the bride fully. Everything that we know about the Father, Jesus Christ and came and communicated in flesh and bone, in living out who God the Father was. There was nothing that Jesus did not discuss about God the Father with his 12 disciples. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, In diverse times and sundry manners, God spoke to us in times past by the prophets. How has God spoken to us in these last days? He's spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, who is the fullness of his glory, the express image of his person, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the way God communicated to us through Jesus. And that's what a woman longs for, that communication. That tells her that you love her. What do we need to do? We need to repent, both us, men and women, wives. Criticism must never turn into contempt, okay? It's right to criticize if something's wrong, to give good, good advice, but don't let it turn into contempt. This is what we need to apply from Ephesians chapter 5 that we just studied. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Corrupt means that which is rotten, that which is going to defile something, but let it be for edification that it might minister grace to the one who hears it. And this is the way a wife needs to communicate with her husband to show that reverence and respect. Let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Husband, men, we need to repent. Never let an offense turn into I'm going to punish my wife. As Christ came to seek, Christ came to save, Christ came to sanctify, Christ came to wash. That's what a husband needs to be doing. He needs to seek. He needs to save. He needs to protect. He needs to cleanse. He needs to lead. As Christ 
came, so man needs to be the peacemaker. Men, don't wait for your wife to come and apologize. If you've offended and she's offended, you take the role as the head of the home. Realize that God has intended this difference to complement one another. Our needs are very different. Now, none of us have a problem with the idea that love is unconditional, right? I don't think anybody in the room would say, you know, love has got to be conditional. No. Then it's not love, right? Love is unconditional. We're commanded to love as Christ loved the church. That's unconditional. But the idea of respect, unconditional, that seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? An oxymoron isn't a teenager with bad acne. <laughs> That's a bad joke. <laughs> but you, you don't think reverence and unconditional should go together, right? If somebody is respected, well, they've got to earn that respect. They, that's, that's just the way our natural minds think. And to tell a wife that you need to unconditionally respect that lazy so-and-so or that mean whatever he is, no, I'm not going to respect him because he doesn't deserve it. I want to tell you a story about a marriage that was falling apart. I mean, it was corrosive. This guy was a coal miner. He was rough. He was tough. He wouldn't even talk to his wife. He'd come home, he'd throw his lunchbox on the floor, and he'd expect her to put that lunchbox up and put the lunch in it the next day. And he'd go off to work, and he says, man, I'm earning a living. I'm down in this dirty, rotten coal mine. And he never told her he loved her. He never spoke anything. And his wife was just so desperate, she called this counselor and says, what do I do? He says, do you respect your husband? She goes, no, I don't respect him. He goes, that's what's wrong with your marriage. She goes, uh-uh. That's not what's wrong with my marriage. He's what's wrong with our marriage. And she, he said, well, how do you expect to change him? I don't know. He says, trust me. Respect him. So she wrote one little note and put it in his lunchbox. He's down there in the coal mine. It's dirty. It's dusty. He's working down there thinking, you know what? My wife doesn't respect this work that I do. You know, I'm a blue-collar worker. I get up early in the morning. I go down in this dirty, stinking mine. I'm down here in the dark. I'm breathing in this coal dust all day. And he opens up this little letter, little note, and says, Husband, or honey, thank you for what you do. That's all it put on it. He began to think about that. He went home, and he didn't throw his lunchbox on the floor. He put it up on the table, went to bed like he always does. A week later, he got another note. Said, honey, thank you for the long hours. Thank you for the food on our table. Thank you for the roof over our head. He came home that evening and stopped and bought a bouquet of roses and walked into his wife and said, here, honey. Didn't say I love you, but she knew that he loved her. That's all it took was just a little bit of unconditional reverence for that man. Christ's love, it's sacrificial and it is unconditional, men. What did Christ give? Ephesians 5, 2, he gave himself. He was delivered for our offenses, men, 425 of Romans. He gave himself for our sins, men, that he might deliver us, the church, out of this present evil age. Men, that's what we are to be doing for our wives. We are to deliver them, take them out of the surroundings. Don't let the pressure of this life build up on your poor spouse, men. That is our job. Men, we were created to give ourselves for our wives. A man feels fulfilled when he is giving himself for somebody else. The Viet Cong knew this about men. They would purposely wound a GI soldier, knowing that men are hardwired and programmed to go in and sacrifice themselves. That they would go in and they would do anything they could to get that buddy out. 
That's the way men are created. That's the way God has designed you. Now, let's fulfill our role. This is what it says in the book of Nehemiah. He says, you men, I want you to fight. I want you to fight for your children. I want you to fight for your homes. I want you to fight for your wives. That's what men are called to do. Love is unconditional. Whether your wife merits that love, it does not matter. Christ never looked down from heaven and says, do you people merit the cross? When we were ungodly, when we were without strength, in due time, Jesus Christ died for sinners. And that's the way we are to love our wives. doesn't matter what they say. doesn't matter how they act. We unconditionally need to love. If we love only because we are loved back, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 46, what reward do you have after all? Don't even the publicans do the same. Respect, unconditional. Well, let's look to the Bible. What does the Bible say? I'm, I, don't take Patrick's opinion for it. So let's turn over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. We're going to start off talking about servants, and then we're going to look at the context. So this is one of those areas where you just have to look at the whole context when you're teaching topically, but it starts out here. Actually, the, the whole passage starts in verse 13, where it says, submit yourselves to every ordinance, and then it gets to servants in verse 18. Servants, be submissive. Hupotasso, arrange your life under the authority of your master's. The Greek word for masters is the word despot. A despot is one who wields absolute power irregardless of their character. Servants, be submissive to your despot, irregardless to their character, whether you think they deserve it or not, because of their God-given position. It is unconditional. And then it says how? With all phobia, with all fear. It's the same Greek word used in Ephesians 5.33, with all reverence. And look at the rest of this phrase, clause. And not to the good only and the gentle, but also to the harsh, the froward. The Greek word is scoliosis, the crooked, the perverse. The one who is out of control is the idea. And servants are supposed to be submissive, order their lives, arrange themselves under masters, just like, not just to the good, unconditional reverence they are commanded to give. Now look at verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1. And we start out with two words, wives, likewise. The exact same is expected of the wife to be under subjection, not only to the good husband, not only to the kind husband, not only to the loving husband. In fact, the unbelieving husband. If someone does have a husband who does not obey the word, they without the word may be won by the conduct of their eyes. When? When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by what? What does it say? Fear, phobia, reverence, respect. That's what will get your husband's attention. So it's unconditional. Men, we're not off the hook, though. <laughs> Go down to verse 7. Husbands, likewise. You see, husbands, we've got a double role to fulfill. We're not only to love our wives, we're also to reverence our wives. We're to respect our wives. We are to honor our wives. Tamao is the Greek word, which means to put a high premium on who they are and what they do. Men, we're likewise to grant her honor 
It means to assign the portion that is due her. Yes, respect is unconditional. Honor. Give reverence. Because of their position, they are completely equal with the husband. Look what it says in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 7. Honor the wife as a weaker vessel. What? As being joint heirs. Heirs together. You are co-equal. Therefore, you are to respect and reverence your wife that your prayers may not be hindered. When men and women are surveyed, men report that in an argument with their spouse, they don't feel respected. On the other hand, when there's an argument that ensues, and it's done not in a, uh, when it's done in a contemptual way, a woman feels like she is not loved. Now, what does all this mean? Does unconditional love give a wife a license? Far from it. Does unconditional reverence mean that your wife is a doormat? Far from it. Unless we view the life our lives, from the view of Scripture, these things are impossible for both the male and the female. Every one of us are good about seeing faults in another person, aren't we? I mean, we're professionals at it. And we need to repent of it. I got an illustration for you that happened about 30 minutes ago. <laughs> Ben's smiling because he says, yeah, I know what he's talking about. We were talking about how hard it is not to talk about other people when you share with them and share it with another person. And we talked about how we should pray for them. And so I brought up somebody that he doesn't even know. He brought up somebody I don't even know. And I started bad-mouthing this person. Ben started about And we looked at each other and we said, man, we're horrible, aren't we? <laughs> and we're just getting ready to worship Jesus. And we had to repent. And we prayed for those two people. You talk about, there is no such thing as easy believism, is there? To believe in Jesus means that I have to walk by faith moment by moment by moment by moment. And it's so easy to see faults in others. And the husband, where do you begin if you want to see a changed attitude in your You don't start by trying to point out her faults. That's a good way to just to escalate the problem. Where do you start? Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 4 tells us this. Why do you behold a speck that's in your wife's eye? I'm kind of paraphrasing it. And behold, there's a log in your own eye. First, cast out the log, and then you will see clearly to pull the speck out of your brother's eye. You hypocrite. So the first place I start, when I want to change someone else's attitude, I want to change somebody else's behavior, I begin with myself. Stop focusing on the other one's lack of respect. Start focusing on my lack of love. The word consider means to carefully analyze your own lack of love and don't minimize your own role in the conflict. If we hope to have any success correcting our spouse, it requires us to severely examine ourselves and charitably correct the other. Let me say that again. If we want to see success in changing our marriage, we need to severely examine ourselves and charitably correct the other. Deal honestly and objectively with your own failure. Take radical steps to change your behavior. The word cast out is a compound word in the Greek. Ek, balo. Ek means to come out of. Balo means to cast. It's a radical change of your behavior that's noticeable to your spouse. Surrender your pride and your fear, ladies. I don't want to respect that guy. Why? Your pride or your fear. This isn't going to work out well if I respect this guy. Surrender your pride and your fear to faith. 
Husbands and wives, we often lack faith that God's word really is the secret to fulfilling a marriage. I don't know about that. Women are often fearful that it will turn their husband into a male chauvinist. Well, if I just show this guy respect, boy, I know what's going to happen. Men are fearful that when they end up loving their wives unconditionally and doing all these sacrificial things, they're just going to end up wearing the apron spring, string. Nothing wrong with that anyway. <laughs> I mean, we ought to help around the house, right? But we need to have faith that God's Word really will fulfill all that it promises to do. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves. Why? Because love will cover a multitude of sin. Colossians 3.14, and above all things, put on love. Why? It is the bond which perfects and pulls everything together. Colossians 3.14. Romans 3.10, love is the belt, the girdle that does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love fulfills the law. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love all things because love bears up under all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails, husband. It's not going to be a license. In fact, it'll be just the opposite. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And what has God's loving grace done? It's taught us to deny ungodliness, to live soberly, to live righteously in this present age, looking for the appearing of our great God and Savior. It is the love of God that brings people to repentance. It was the love of Christ that that woman sat at His feet and washed his feet with her hair. And he turns around and he says, Simon, how come you're not down here? And Simon says, that sounds like a game. Simon says, <laughs> Brandon, poor kid up here. <laughs> Simon responded, if Jesus knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't allow her to touch his feet. He says, Simon, I've got a parable for you. There was two debtors. One owed an immense amount and one owed just a little tiny amount. And he forgave them both. Which one do you think is going to love the most? Simon got the answer right, but he didn't live it out. And the woman who respected Jesus was the one who felt so much love from our Savior. Love never fails. Being subjected to your own husband with a chaste conduct, accompanied with reverence. Spend time, ladies, spend time adorning your inner person. That's what your husband will notice when you spend time adorning and nurturing your relationship with Jesus. It will be reflected in your relationship with your husband. In past time, holy women adorn themselves, being submissive. Pursue faith and don't Yield to fear. Look at First Peter three six. If you're already there, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now I don't expect you ladies to go around calling your husband Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any amazement or with any terror, thinking this thing's going to backfire on me. No, you can trust God. I want to just give you an illustration as I close how important this little principle is. My granddaughter was talking to my wife and said, my dad, he's the Navy SEAL, he's so hard. He makes me do push-ups. He makes me do sit-ups. He, he makes me run around the house. He takes away my phone. Tracy said, Lily, I want you to start telling dad how thankful you are for him start telling your dad how much you respect him how he's given his life to protect americans how he's gone over to afghanistan lily you thank your dad for what he's doing helping 150 people get out of that country 
and come to safety. She started doing that. She called her grandma. And she says, what did she call you, Oma? Oma? Oma, it worked. It worked. He is so good to me. He, he's given me all my privileges. He gave me my phone back. It worked. It broke daddy's heart. And dad starts showing that love to his daughter when the daughter felt like, man, my dad is so hard on me. And all it took was Lily thanking her dad and showing a little respect. In the beginning, God created us male and female. He knew what he was doing, didn't he? He made us different for a purpose. Man needed someone to correspond to exactly what he needed. So he didn't take it out of the ground. He took it from his bone and from his flesh because we really are one. And when we live as one, our marriages are so fulfilling. The message that a woman desperately needs to hear, and not just in your words, but in your actions, in your deeds, is I love you, my wife. The message that a man needs to hear is I respect you. Both those things need to be unconditional. We can't afford to wait for the other one to make the first move, though. So men, as the head, you need to step out. Because if you don't, likely nothing will happen. Unless your wife is that much more spiritually mature than you, and she has to take the first step sometimes. Because sometimes that's just where you're at. Maybe you're just in one of those funks, and the woman has to make that first step, but oh, don't let it happen. Don't wait for the other one to make the first move. Be ready to get the beam out of your own eye. Stop by changing your own behavior. Trust God in faith that if I will love her, I will start to see reverence. Trust God to say, you know what? I'm going to respect this man, and I'm going to watch God change his heart from the inside out, and I'm going to start to experience his love. God knows what's best. And it's not just for these relationships, is it? It's for all of life's principle. God's word is our authority. Let's close in prayer. Father, God, I hope that these two simple principles will help us, not just in the home, but God at the workplace. But God, that we will respect those whom you've placed over us. And God, if we have people under our authority, that God, that we will truly sacrifice and go out of our way to make their jobs easier. Father, God, we thank you. We thank you for our spouses on this Thanksgiving week. We thank you in your infinite wisdom that you created something our complete equal and yet so different to complement one another, Lord. God, we worship you today, and we thank you for your design. Help us to yield to it in faith, surrendering to you, believing that, God, if we trust you, that you will do what you promised to do. In Jesus' name, amen.